We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot, Paul and James will be discussing the 3-1 victory away to Watford, as well as our two new sign-ins, currently away in Brighton with the family, and I've just eaten the biggest burger I've ever seen, and I feel pretty sick, to be honest, so I'm going to keep this short and sweet before I make a mess all over this microphone, and nobody wants that. So, enjoy the podcast, and back very soon, we're going to have a podcast about our squad shape, our transfer window so far, and stuff like that. So keep an ear out for that. Back soon. Emphatic opening day win at the Emirates puts behind us fears of poor preseason form as Arsenal gets started with a 3-1 victory over Watford. Wait, this just in. That was not opening day. You know what? That's fine with me. We'll take it. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Apologies for the terrible introduction, but I'm too lazy to redo it. Um, yeah, it's not opening day, but it's still a win. We'll take it. We finally uh, put three points on the board, three matches into the season. And uh, I think it was welcome both uh, in terms of the result and in terms of the news that had come this week in the transfer market. So we'll try to cover all that in a uh, fast-moving podcast as we have a deadline or uh, a hard stop, as they say. Does anybody say that? I'm going to say it. We have a hard stop. So you won't have to deal with us just rambling on for an hour and 20 minutes, despite the fact that I'm still rambling on. What am I doing? Okay, uh, James is here. You can find him on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. Hello, James. Good evening. Good evening, indeed. And Paul is here. You can find him on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Paws. Woohoo! Stilberto couldn't be here. He has guests Welcome. at his house. Welcome. And it's like, what are we? Chopped fucking liver? I guess so. Um, in any event... 
We're going to do the best job we can. To be fair, we have the two most positive influences on the podcast on the podcast for a positive result. So everything should go swimmingly. Um, let's start with the lineup for Watford. James, I think I don't speak for Paul when I say that I was happy to see the back of Francis Coughlin, but Shaka did get the start. There was some uh, rumors that it was going to be Coughlin and that maybe he was a little ill, and so Shaka got the start at the last minute. But ultimately... Shaka started with Kazorla and Ozil, and the difference in midfield was immediately noticeable. What did you make of the decision to start him in the performance? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the way in which we were able to construct play from that midfield, given the um, the type of midfielders that we we had in from from Shaka straight to to Ozil in there. Um, ability to to move the, the ball from back to front and um, the competence each of them have, technically speaking, um, was uh, night and day relative to some of the performances we've seen more recently. Um, I I think the only debate as to whether Cochrane would have started personally would have been as to just how ready um, Arsenal now considers uh, Xhaka going into the game, um, and maybe that. The decision for this lineup was held more concretely based upon um, a slight injury to Cochrane. But then I, I'm surprised, given just given the the wealth of midfield options we have, that he'd even then be on the bench. Um, but perhaps just as a, a backup for us, for uh, you know, given a certain type of game scenario that might have um, come up in the game. But for me, I think as we begin to see Granite become a more permanent fixture um, in the side and in the Arsenal having the full face to give him the full 90 minutes, I'm, I'd be surprised when, certainly when Aaron and Santi are both fit for um, Coquelin to necessarily be one of the first uh, choice midfielders to, to be in that first 11. Um, so from the midfield standpoint, it was a delight to see, um, especially given the type of game playing against a, um, a weaker opposition in, in Watford that aren't necessarily a team that just um, have that sort of handed uh, uh, rows of uh, back five and um, consistently holding 10 men behind the ball um, a team that do like to um, try and come at you at times certainly um, when playing at their stadium um, so from that standpoint I thought the lineup made sense um, the front three was as predicted given that Giroud um, all messages indi- indicated by Arsenal prior to the game that Giroud wouldn't be fit and the back four I think picked itself um the only i guess question mark would be whether holding would retain his place but i think following the performance of leicester that was uh, pretty much a given yeah i i would say so i think you know if you look at last season we we've actually done okay against the better teams but we let ourselves down against some of the lesser lights in the league and um you know, I think maybe that's where Francis Coughlin has to take some responsibility because when we want to sit a little deeper and when we want someone to shield the back four, we know he can cover a lot of space and we know that he's a great tackler. But against teams where we expect to have more of the ball and we want to do more with possession, you know, I think it just makes sense to bring in someone like Shaka who, you know, played sort of the a more mobile version of the Arteta role. And I, I saw um, a visualization, a passing chart, of of um, the exchange of passes among the team for the Leicester match and then for this match. And it's just incredible how much more involved the midfield was. Now, look, some of that is going to be down to a full, well, not a full 90 minutes, but starting with Mesut Ozil. But a lot of it was down to, to Granite Chaka and Kazorla really having more of a, of a rhythm together in the passing game. So, Paul, I mean, you are a big Francis Coughlin fan. I, I think maybe to some extent you feel 
the way you do because you feel he's probably unfairly maligned when there's a lot of positives he brings to the squad. But what did you see as the difference in our approach with Shaka in there instead of Coughlin? Sure. I mean, I think due to my passionate defense of the man as not being anywhere near shit or as one-dimensional as he's portrayed, it kind of got lost that my preferred starting DM is Granit Xhaka and his partner would be Cazorla. That's my preferred lineup, and I think probably a lot of people's. I yeah, think, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other option that there's a camp for Chaka and Ramsey, and I'm very keen to see that. See that. But uh, that may work great. Uh, I'm a bit trial and error on that one, see how it works, how it develops. But I, re- I really didn't have much doubt that Chaka and Cazorla would work for as long as the two of them had legs. And I do wonder if in the second half we saw the legs going a little bit. I mean, those guys were both involved in uh, the Watford goal. Mm -hmm. And I know why I would have had Coquelin on the bench for that match if I needed to pull the ripcord. Um, So, but, you know, no argument on on the lineup based on our options, I think. And... What I really liked with Chaka and Cazorla, you, you could go away from that think that game thinking Chaka pulled all the strings. He really did. Mm-hmm. But what was nice to see was the democracy of it all. There was balance there. Chaka and Cazorla, you know, pretty close to the same number of complete p- passes. I don't remember what it was. Chaka made a few more passes, but Cazorla basically hit all his passes. So they ended up with about the same numbers. And as Chaka sprayed it around, he was pretty democratic there to Cazorla, to Monreal, and to Holding. So, which is kind of what you'd expect. I, 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 to me, the other factor was in the first two games, distribution from the center backs was a big issue. I don't necessarily mean a big problem, but I pretty much do. Mm-hmm. But it was a big factor in the game. In the first game, it was a huge problem. In the second game, it was a big factor, and I think we mostly got it about right. In the third game, it was no factor at all. Uh, you know, Chaka, you'd see him drop in t- between the two center backs. Uh, it was all kind of cool. Um, if Watford had been smart, they might have tried the old stop Chaka and you stop Arsenal, but they probably went for the bulletin that you stop Ozil and you stop Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of having Chaka, Cazorla, Ozil, and Sanchez all knocking it about with comfort is you can't stop two of them, maybe. Certainly can't stop three. And, uh, you know, Santi did some really nice distribution himself, though Chaka gets the plaudits. So uh, I just saw a lot of balance. And obviously much more in the first half. But I do think, once again, Arsene talked about kind of the legs going in the second half. Less and less by each game. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of... uh, reasons we can attribute the, the performance in the second half to. We'll, we'll get to that in just a bit. But real quick, James, um, J underscore Somnambulist at J underscore Somnambulist on Twitter asks, assuming Ozil and Shaka in, is the third midfielder dependent on the opponent or should we be looking for consistency? Um, it's a good question. I think, as Paul alluded to, the big query for most of us now is is who does... Arsene um, lean towards when both Santi and Aaron are fully fit. 
because my uh, inclination to believe when Granite was first signed was that he was brought in uh, clearly as uh, the type of player that um, was required and that as as has previously been discussed on pods the um, uh, uh, have uh, being able to somewhat combine the qualities of both Francis and and Santi into one player, but also potentially to finally unlock Aaron within this um four two three one system that we play that we find we do seem to find it quite difficult and we certainly did the last um two seasons to really bring out the best qualities in Aaron. Um I think even you've mentioned earlier that you know he's probably the um the the the, play, the best player we have in the squad that's that's um we've managed to get the least out of mm-hmm. um in recent times. And I do think for the most part, even against from both the smaller teams to the big teams, with a with that midfield partnership in in theory, um, with a few games under its belt, I think it has a good um, balance in the sense that Aaron's a sl- you know he's, he's he's slightly more of a workhorse than Santi. I think when he's at the top of his game, when he's in unison with with a pr- prospective partner like that of Granite, has the ability to um, to to create that sort of defensive anchor for in, in the bigger games when, when the game flips to us becoming a more sort of requiring that more that stronger defensive unit, uh, a team that's slightly more solid, whilst also being able to transition and um, add further to that sort of counter-attacking element, especially once Olivier um, moves back into that starting eleven with Sanchez coming out wide. It won't quite be the, th- the three pacey forwards on, on the counter-attack. It will be Sanchez and most likely Walcott or Perez alongside Giroud, you would think, um, with then Aaron also being able to provide those uh, lung-bursting um, uh, uh, runs in from, from deep. And also just the attacking threat I think Aaron provides from that from that area. But it's tough because Santi's such a, a phenomenal player to have and in the way that we saw across the three, those three players, the from both just the metronomic passing abilities of the three, the, the way in which we're able to both fizz the ball in quickly to, to players such as Sanchez, to Ozil, and also having that option of, of feeding the balls in behind to um, to those uh, front three, which we haven't... Actually, the way, I mean, the way in which we were spraying the ball, the way in which we were distributing the ball and moving the ball, A, from, a from side to side, but also the way in which we were able to, to mix it up and and catch Watford off guard with uh, mostly through granite. I mean, some of that passing was a true, true joy to watch. And it was one mm-hmm. of the first times I felt that I was genuinely able to, certainly for that first 45 minutes, to just really enjoy watching us play again. From the combinations in the in in the final third, um, especially between that of Ozil and Sanchez, so then just um, the way we were able to pick out those spaces. And um, that a lot of that was... Um, a, a result and a factor of having each of those three types of players in in Granite Santi and, and Mesut. So, yeah, it's, it it is a tough question because there's no denying that Santi is a, is an absolutely superb player, and I think there's no doubt that either way, whether it becomes Aaron or Santi as the as the mainstay, outside of of course uh, injuries over the over the course of a long season, um, it's it's a pretty. Uh, it's a pretty easy substitution to make in order to alter the, the way in which um, we're able to move the ball from midfield and, and the kind of attacking threat um, and defensive solidarity that we're, we're able to introduce into the game, especially as we saw with uh, bringing in El Nene to, to, stable, to 
introduced that stability to the side in the um, latter part of the second half as as we kind of lost the foothold of the game yeah, as our fitness levels dropped and, the, and our physicality, certainly our, our attacking prowess had diminished slightly. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge versatility of options there and a real wealth of options that we haven't seen for... You know, arguably we had a, a, a deep, a fairly deep midfield, but when you're playing Flamley for the number of games that we did and a Croc D'Arteta, et cetera, I just, and I, we've complained for so, so many seasons that we've always left ourselves a little bit short. But when we look at the midfield now, it it really has every single type of, of midfielder one could ask for, and it's it's a. Uh, it's going to be tough for us and on uh, many match days to, f- to find out what is his best sort of mid- triumvirate is, but it's it's certainly a, a great problem to have. Well, and the, pro- the problem is stylistic. I, you know, I think the, the way you're going to play with Coughlin in the side is not the same as the way you're going to play with Shaka in the side. Um, and th- there's a huge question mark of whether Ramsey can work in a midfield two, but it's very clear he does not work in a midfield two with Francis Coughlin. I think what's interesting... If you look at passing combinations from the Leicester match with Coughlin, like Coughlin and Shaka, for example, exchanged, what, five passes? Coughlin passed to Shaka five times, um, and I don't know. I'm just gonna, And Shaka passed to Coughlin four times, right? I mean, very little interchange between the two of them. Now you fast forward to the Watford match, and, and again, I realize that you're playing a, a much worse team, um, you know, which certainly impacts it. And they didn't really press, especially in the first half. So that that's going to impact how some of that looks. But I think if you look at the passing combinations, let's just bring this up here for a second. I think, yeah, Shaka and Kazorla, Shaka passed to Kazorla nine times. Um, Kazorla passed to Shaka nine times. So, you know, there's 18 passes exchanged right there. And then they both had a lot to Ozil. Um Sanchez to Cazorla 13 times. Uh, Shaka, let's see, where was it? Shaka to Sanchez nine times. So there was just a lot more interaction between the front three and the central midfield, and the midfield partners were, were exchanging passes together, and there's probably some redundancy there from what I'm talking about, but it's just a totally different way of, of playing and possessing the ball and building up through the midfield, and I think it's closer to what we expect to see from Arsenal. Now, whether we can do that away at City, maybe not. And maybe that's a case of where you want a destroyer protecting the back four, and you're going to try to counterattack with pace using long balls. I don't know. You know, you'd have to ask the manager. Um, but you're not going to play this way with Coughlin in the side, and I, I'm not sure you're going to play this way with Ramsey in midfield either. So let me ask you this, Paul. Um, you know, it was, it was a really fun game to watch in the first half. Ozil and Sanchez were magnificent. One of your favorite players, Theo Walcott, I thought, had a really good game, and in particular, a really good first half. He was involved. He was energetic. Can you contrast for me a little bit what we've seen and what we saw in particular on that day from Walcott versus Oxlade-Chamberlain as they probably vie for one of the remaining front three positions? I think that's right, uh, that that's that's kind of the battle. Um, Right, because it's either Perez or Giroud. It's going to be one of them. Yeah. And then it's going to be Alexis, obviously, and maybe Ramsey, but assuming, you know, if he's not back or whatever it is, there's one spot and, and Ox and Theo definitely com- competing for it. And potentially Perez, of course. Well, yeah, it could be Perez and Giroud, of course. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I, so I that, see that, that could be a very busy wing. And, you know, to that point, Theo has done fairly poorly in the past on the left wing. Um, I think the Ox has done better on the left wing, but favors the right. So, a little harder from, 
I didn't think he was quite as bad as everybody made out on Who, him. Ox? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, I'm not saying he was great. I just don't think he... Uh, I, here was my biggest issue when with was him. was the last time you thought someone was as bad as everybody made, <laughs> made out? Just out of curiosity. I did not have to get back to you okay, on that. Enough, yeah. Here, here's what I thought on Ox. <laughs> um, body language-wise, you can see he's just... He's not there. He's a bit, somebody said he looks lost. Uh, I thought he had an okayish game, but he looked lost. And I think his body language tells you that the kind of positive vibe he took from preseason, he's kind of lost that. And and so I think he's going to have a potentially have a, another tough year coming in as third or fourth option. Now, uh, Arson has to be fair to him. Arson tends to play him a lot uh, as long as he's fit. Now, he's never had this amount of competition, but Arson likes who he likes, so it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a tough year for him. In terms of the actual game and why, you know, why Theo had a bit of a stormer and the Ox didn't, um, I mean, there's no particularly good reason apart from Alexis kind of sucked up a lot of the oxygen on the left wing. Um and, you know, the right wing was where we got in behind, which might have suited the Ox himself. Uh, Theo mopped up most of the juice on the right wing. Um, and I think this was the kind of game, uh, because we scored early, Watford had to come at us. So there was more room to run in behind. Had it been 0-0 for the first 70 minutes, Theo might have had a tougher time in, in that game, and the Ox, uh, his ability to run at them, say, certainly from the right wing, might have paid some dividends that we might have seen with Theo. Um, when you look at that ball, Chaka uh, lobbed over the top with backspin for Theo, uh, and Theo, I mean, it was a fingertip save. What an absolute fucking gem of a goal that would have been. You know, it reminds you that you now have Chaka. Cazorla uh, and uh, and Ozil, you know, here I am struggling to remember who the third guy is. I'm not really. But anyway, you have three guys who can find Theo, whereas in the second half of last season, season we were down to one guy who was really trying to find uh, Theo and not much opportunity to run him behind. That to me, obviously his confidence is up. Obviously yeah. he's feeling it. Obviously the intensity is there. Obviously he's had a summer to stew in his juices. Back to the juice. There's a lot of juices in the story. There is. In the story. There, there, there's some juices I'm not even talking about in the story. Thank anyway, for that. So, yeah. So, he, you know, he's, we can see that intensity. And uh, anybody who didn't see it is a fucking bigot. Well, in, yeah. In terms of Theo. <laughs> I mean, really. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but but I think, you know, I, I saw some stats floating around the internet just on the number of tackles he's yeah. put in already this season versus what he's put in. And I know, Paul, you had some repost to that, but I, I think um, it, it's clear that he's putting in the focus on both, both ends of the pitch. The problem for me with Oxley Chamberlain is whatever individual skill set he has, you, you know, he, he has some brilliant individual skills, namely pace and dribbling. He just does not seem to be in sync as a teammate. Um, he finds it hard to stay alert and switch on defensively. He will lose the ball in positions that frustrate his teammates, which you know make things tougher on everybody. 
I thought, you know, people tried to compare Theo's lob with Ox's lob, but the, the, they're not even remotely the same thing. Theo was in on goal. He was in the box. He tried a clever finish when he was in on goal. Ox had two players standing three yards from him, totally unmarked at the top of the box on a counterattack, and he was 20 yards out and tried a really difficult skill. Now, you know, I think it's great to have some players who trust their skill to do that because we've often tried to pass it in the goal, but you talk about Arsene Wenger playing the players he likes, and I can tell you the one thing that will bring you out of Arsene's favor and get you off the pitch is not finding your open teammate who's in a better position than you on a counterattack. Um, I just think he looks like a guy whose confidence is low and whose team concept isn't really, who, whose ability to function in a team concept isn't really there right now. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, but I thought, you know, when you look at how Theo played relatively well and Alexis and Ozil were really magnificent and Alexis wanted to be everywhere on the pitch but the center of the pitch. Now that might have been by design, but clearly Perez or Giroud, in my opinion, is going to come in and step into that center forward role. I think you're looking at Alexis Perez and Theo and, and the movement there and the versatility and the, the ability, just the mobility of that front line with Shaka, Cazorla, and Ozo behind them is very exciting, especially if Theo's going to continue to work hard at both ends of the pitch. Um, I think the second half obviously was disappointing, and my only counter-argument to that would be if we were even competent on the counterattack, we would have had five or six goals. And so maybe they get another one and it's 6-2 or 5-2 and no one's complaining. We had a lot of good counterattacking opportunities. But James, it's very clear that when they pressed, we had trouble. I'm a little surprised. You look at the passing and the movement of guys like Shaka and Cazorla and Ozil and you'd think that we'd now have the players to destroy a press. But this team really struggles, it seems, still when, when we're pressed what did you see specifically that turned the tide a little in the second half? Yeah, I think there was an, an increased level of intensity from Watford in the second half um, that was spurred on by a couple of halftime introductions on their end and an early goal that was created through, A, I think, some fairly lackluster defending and uh, tracking back from, from Arcs, which created something of a three-on-one um, against Nacho. And some slight confusion, perhaps some slight tiredness. I don't know from Granite and Santi the way that um, the ball got knocked around, but it was it was quite it was a fairly unfortunate goal to concede in that it it was, it was quite difficult to track the movement of the ball for that period of of ten to fifteen seconds or so um, as it as it was um, moving around something just some fortuitous that a, Yeah, it was just you know something akin to that of a pinball machine. Um, so I'm I don't in it, you know, in the pure sort of um, micro moment of that goal itself, I don't know how um, how poor the the defending as such was, but I think from there, Watford gained a little bit of momentum. Arsenal, I know, has talked about the fitness of the players, and um, <laughs> the one issue I do have with that is we're playing against a side that you know we, we, you're, you're playing against oppositions that have had the same sort of preseason as you. And um, well, and they I lost to Gillingham in midweek. We didn't have a game. <laughs> Right. No. No. Absolutely. And I don't. I don't see why there should be too much reason as to why we should be like our players should be lagging more than than that of our our opposition counterparts per se. Um, that being said, I think it's it's natural when you take a three 0 lead away, as we saw. Um, I mean, we were we actually won three 0 away to Watford last season, and I guess a good comparison is really the. Um, the home game to United um, last season when we took an early three-goal lead. We were away. Real quick, I just have to apologize. 
my terrible intro is made worse by the fact that I said it was at the Emirates and it was at Watford. So I'm going to acknowledge that error right now and let you continue. Because <laughs> I'm not going back and redoing it. Just fuck that. I'm not. Excellent. Um, but yeah, I, I think the natural inclination when you when the team's 3-0 up at this stage, I mean, perhaps we are suffering from a little more fatigue than we, we would be, say, five, ten games into the season. Um, and so the... The inclination from the players is to keep things solid, keep things a little more compact, um, which might make it a little more difficult since we don't have quite the expansive space on um, the, the way in which we commit players going forwards to break out from that from that higher press, with especially with the momentum that Watford generated it um, following their goal. Um, but all being said, I think a lot of that perception of that second half was more the kind of sort of pessimistic nature that we, we have as Arsenal fans based on some fairly horrific experiences, whether it be Anderlecht at home or um, <laughs> memories of uh, of Newcastle from a few few seasons back. Um, but I, do, I think if you look back on that second half with the knowledge that um, we get through it as we did, we weren't actually under an incredible level of pressure. I, I recall the, um, the double-check save and, and the Agalo overhead kick that did create a couple of hard in mouth moments but I think the actual general well, there was the Koscielny uh, attempt at Nongo that wasn't fun <laughs> yeah that was the, that was in the first half I think but yeah, okay. I, um, yeah I think nice it was quite early yeah. at 1-0 but um, you know and I think actually the game still played into our favour because arguably our chance on the counter attack certainly um, when Alex and Alexis uh, with the options that they had to their left um, we really should have scored a fourth and a fifth. I mean, they were uh, <laughs> they they were extremely good chances. Arguably, um, you know, just as good opportunities to score as um, previous opportunities as we created in the game. And I think as soon as you you score, you just score a fourth goal in that second half. You you absolutely put that game to bed. Um, but even still, you know, despite the the type of counter attacking opportunities we were able to create, we didn't in my eyes, concede particularly, um, you know, out, outstanding opportunities um, on behalf, from Watford's point of view, and nor do we seem wholly under the cosh. So I, when, you know, once Mohamed Elneny was introduced, once Jack came on, I suppose, although I don't think he had a particularly great game for the uh, brief period that he was on, although, I mean... I know you guys spoke in depth about Oxley Chamberlain, but A, he looked like someone that was lagging at the time of his exclusion, um, but someone who I thought had a had a poor game. And I think, um, you know, despite all the talent he has, um, this this mental block of his, let's not forget, I think this is something, is his fifth or sixth season out at Arsenal? I mean, a, you know, a truly remarkable amount of period of time that he's had at this club. Um, and it's really getting to a stage now, especially when you start to look in um, to bring your player like Perez in, start to bolster that attacking lineup. Um, it, it, it's starting to feel slightly more make or break for Alex. Um, I could agree more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't have many qualms with the way in which once you take a three goal lead um, and you just and you develop that sort of solidarity and, and you play, we've we've spoken so many times in the past when you look at the way in which we've continued to seek out goals when you know the game management on our on our part in 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 prior seasons where we've let games slip away just because we've been too exuberant um despite having already uh taken um a decent lead in games i think i think that's something that we've improved upon i think given the the options we have in in the midfield and given the the depth we have in our squad um it's a it's a type of tactic we'll see 
um, see going forward. Yeah. Uh, my my only my only response to that, and I don't disagree, would be that I don't know that this was a great case of game management in the sense that we weren't just passing the ball around the midfield and back to the center backs for the second half and just keeping them at bay but not doing anything ourselves. They definitely had the impetus. You know what I mean? So, you know, if you wanted to say a, a classic example of killing off a match, I'd say it was second half against United at home last season in that 3-0 I think this was definitely a little bit more under the cosh, a little bit more uh, panic stations at times than you'd like to see. I do think we had a chance, um, chances on the counterattack to make it a really big win. And look, some of the frustration I think is we were disappointed by the two games to start the season. We wanted a big emphatic victory at halftime. It looked like this could be six, seven, eight, nine, you know, really go out and hammer them. And it turned into just a tiny little bit more of a nail biter second half. But to me, the issue still is when we get pressed, we don't seem to deal with it great, and that surprises me given the the movement and the passing we now have in this side. Let's let's put this game to bed just for a bit because I, as as great as it was, I think we covered it. I mean, the, the one thing I'll say to you or ask you guys just really really quickly, um, the the Ozo goal, the Alexis to Ozo goal, Paul, that's. That's like the quintessential example of what you want from your great great players, right? Being totally in lockstep in terms of their thought, their movement, and execution. It's great because Alexis is standing there basically with his foot on the ball saying, give me an option. T.O.'s in the box surrounded by three or four players. Somebody was slagging them off for not making a run. But, but I don't know. I'm not sure where he was going to run to. Uh, and so, you're, you know, you, you, you look where Ozil is and – Having watched a bunch of times, your first thought is, well, why doesn't he begin? Oh, he's starting. Oh, hang on. You know, you see this acceleration curve with him. I'm always amazed by just how fucking fast yeah, Mesut he's, Ozil he's is. got more speed than you, than you seem to think when, when he turns yeah. in. He, it's he's, because he's not really a straight line runner very often, right? Yeah. I think it's also because he uses the gears, his change of pace as a weapon, you know, it, pretty easy to track somebody who's going near full speed all the time. But, I mean, he used, he used his acceleration and his speed to complete, you know, acceleration from zero is a lot more lethal than somebody who's already running at 75%, drawing attention to himself. Yeah. So I think, I think he really just catches them with their underpants down. We've had quite a few debates, I think, this morning on what was everybody's favorite piece of that goal. For me, it's the acceleration curve. For somebody else, it's thumping in that header from Ozo. From somebody else, it's the that the kind pass. of brilliant dipping cross that I feel I've we seen We call a that few an invitation, before. right? Yeah. It's just, it's absolutely fucking delicious as a goal. And yes, they should have defended it better. I think Theo standing there helped a little bit. It wasn't exactly genius, but it didn't hurt to give them somebody to think they were marking. Um, and Ozil used his nonchalance. And I think we stole that from uh, You Are My Arsenal from a conversation I had earlier. His was nonchalantlessness or something. <laughs> anyway. You, you, you know what I would say is, is I think also this is why you know people say, oh, possession's overrated and it's the death of possession. Now everything's counterattack. The advantage of possession is – the way it wears down the opposition, not just physically, but mentally. And we really had Watford pushed back and, and on their heels so much of the first half that for that third goal, I thought it was just a case of they were ready for the whistle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what you can accomplish when you make, you know, 
hundreds of passes a half and keep you know keep the opposition just chasing shadows. Um, sure. It was and great. They, and they seeded the wings to us, which Alexis loved and Theo loved. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. I, look, it was. It was a great half. We didn't finish the game as strongly as we might have liked, but it was an emphatic victory that, that's what we needed going into the break. Now we can spend a few minutes just quickly covering the transfer business that we actually finally did. Um, and we'll go to Azim on Twitter, at Azim Buta, uh, who said, with what had to be done and the players that have been linked, I think we can say signed, are we satisfied with the window? So, James, I'll start with you. Um, Assuming no more business, and it's Mustafi and Perez and then what we've already done, give me your grade for the window. Are you satisfied? Yes. I mean, purely from a player's standpoint, although uh, I'm sure we'll go into, into it in more detail, Lucas Perez is clearly something of a gamble. But certainly given the style of players and the, the level of acquisitions we've made, it, it certainly strikes me as you know, something of that of, of like an A- minus um, B-plus window. Um, and I would maybe edge slightly more towards B plus just because of the timing of the transfers. And whilst obviously um, we've received a lift now, and that there's that positivity certainly after uh, a win, um, and a lot of sort of negativity that has, has shrouded the club over over a lot of the summer, um, it is still something of a shame that. Um, and we, of course, we don't have the um, intimate details of of the exact negotiation process that takes place. But in for in an ideal window to be carried out, you'd prefer to have your squad settled before the opening day of the season. Um, but from a pure player standpoint, I mean, we've we've plugged the specific gaps that we've looked towards um, going into the summer. Um, in particular, you know, the ability to now have that variation in the type of forward that Perez is. Um, you know, it's it's tough to comment on the absolute quality with, with that he will necessarily bring to the front three, um, in the sense that he's he's really only proven himself at the top level um, at, for one season, and he's you know he's a player who's just turning twenty eight. Um, that being said, we've seen with someone like Jamie Vardy that you know sometimes sports are uh, mostly just a confidence game, um, and if he can continue to ride that that crest and bring in the the types of runs behind. Um, a strong, strong finishing qualities and the versatility of play across that front three. It's um, it's a, it's a very very strong weapon to to add to that arsenal up top, and that variation. We've we've talked a lot on the pod of uh, the problem is sometimes we're so reliant on Giroud as as leading the front line without being able to uh, lean on on that more dynamic front three that we've seen when say Welbeck has played alongside Alexis and and Theo and 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 now you have that in the form of Lucas and then of course um the importance of finally getting the Mustafi deal over the line when when you look at the primarily now the the current sort of injury situation with our center backs but also I think we've had and there continue to be some question marks over whether Gabriel is able to sort of settle into that position at centre back. He's clearly got the raw abilities, but um, he's yet to have struck up a um, a genuine partnership with that of Laurent and Mertesacker into his last contract. And after a big injury, we'll see how well he's able to recover. So, of course, bringing an international player um, at a good age, at 24, with um, a you know, good variety of experience already behind him, and you know. I, that that it it ticks all the right boxes. There's no doubt about that. Um, 
you know, I don't mean to just uh, totally hog the mic from one thing that I do find very interesting across the board on all three signings, including Granite, is that all three players were captains of their previous clubs. Um, and we've discussed a lot that this team has very much lacked leadership. And I think that's a very distinct um, move that Arsenal's made to bring in those types of players, those types of leaders, the, the players that are able to to inject that type of passion into the team. And it's something that I've certainly felt we've been amiss. Yeah. Um, it's great to, it's great to have, look, I mean, it's great to have quality players, but you also want character um, and character in key positions, right? So central defense, central midfield, you know, keeper, you could say those are all character positions for us now. Um, so Paul, what about you? How do you grade out the, the window assuming the business is done? Um, so I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I think if you take Arson's comments that he thought it was going to be the easiest window ever turned out to be one of the hardest, you know, they had a plan, um, options A and B didn't really work out in the striker position, maybe even in the center-back position. But they, these are clearly players they've been scouting from, for some time. Um, so they knew their onions. They had their options. Um, and in the end, they were decisive. Um, I think we would have liked the signings earlier, but I think Arson would have liked the signings earlier. Well, as, yeah, he thought he had Mkhitaryan and Vardy done before the Euros. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know if the Mkhitaryan thing was real. Uh, there are better pe- people placed than me. I never quite bought that one. Uh, I think he said he was never competing with United. So I think that's his way of... Uh, that was just a tweet I saw today. So, uh, well, that anyway. could mean we had interest in pulled that. I mean, who knows? Anyway, more of the story yeah. is he clearly had some targets that he, he wanted to lock up early. He locked he up Shaka. He was going for Vardy. I'll tell you this much. If, if it was Vardy or Perez, I'm so much happier with Perez, even though he's an unknown quantity. I just, just the opportunity to have someone other than Vardy. It was funny that Arson warmed so much to the comment about Perez being the Spanish Vardy, which tells you what his thinking is. Yeah. I mean, he kind of said something like, he chuckled and said, yeah, that's a good one. Um, it, so, isn't it indicative I, I a little bit? To, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, but we kind of jump ahead. Uh, uh, we catch ourselves, but we jump ahead from Granite Chaka. Bought early. Looks like early days, but he, clearly he's the recipe that we have so sorely missed in midfield. Uh, you know, Cox Orla is great and everything, but any, either one of those guys gets injured, and it's still not the ideal way to set up a team. It's kind of frigging it. It's kind of finding something that kludgy that works. Um, that's not how you want to set up a team. Obviously, you know, uh, Wenger talking about him being like Petit. Uh, when he talked some time ago, uh, I don't know if it was six months ago or a year ago, about, you know, leaders and DMs and midfielders, he kind of talked a little bit, but it was clearly Petit that he came back to even then. And so now he signs a guy that he describes as Petit, even though the newspapers are going out of their way to come up with the next Vieira and the next... He's not. No, um, no, he's not. So, I think at the end of the day, uh, hopefully when we look back on this, Chaka's the man. And from there, all good things are built. Uh, 
Perez is a Spanish Vardy, I get that. Uh, Mustafi could form a great partner with Kish- partnership with Kishelny and kind of resolve that position. And holding, very early days, and you can't get too far away. But to me, he has, uh, I was saying this earlier, he has the cold blood in his veins. He just, he has something that, you know, he, that pass he pulled off. Now, I don't know if he knew just how many Watford players were in the neighborhood to pounce on that, but that fucking diagonal, low diagonal across the midfield over to, I don't know if it was two Alexis, but the Alexis wing, I mean, it was just pinpoint. Whether he knew he was going to have that many Watford players to thread it through, I have no idea. Probably, probably he didn't, or he would have shit himself. But man, that pass under pressure, um, you know, that's going to be very interesting too. Yeah, look, I, th- I think... What'll be really interesting now is is what the pecking order is in central defense. And with Chambers going out on loan, you know, I think it's clear obviously Koscielny is the fulcrum. You know, he's the anchor of, of the the center of our defense. But I think you would have said when fit Gabriel was the second choice, and I don't even know now if Gabriel's going to be the the third choice. I think it's gonna be Koscielny. I think it's going to be Koscielny and Mustafi. And then I I think there's a chance Holding will edge himself ahead of Gabriel in that pecking order. Um, Um, I wonder wonder if either one of them will get enough minutes to establish a preeminence. I think Gabriel gets it just out of, if you like, seniority and keeping keeping the natural order. But Mustafi has that, what, four months to bed down his partnership with Koscielny. Yep. He's not going to get dropped if they're doing the business. He's just not. Well, and holding in that time will have the chance to maybe play, uh, you know, yeah. a, a cup game or two as well. Um, and hopefully, you know. Alongside Gabriel, though. Well, if he's back. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, all right. Well, look, let's leave it there for now. I, I think, you know, for me, grading the how, did, win- how did you feel about it? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, the, grading the window is tough for me in this respect. Um, we didn't have quite enough last season. And so we needed to add something. And, and I've always said, it's not the price. It's if Arson identifies a guy as being what he needs and he brings him in, I'm 100% behind that. I'll support it. And I'm excited to see what he can do. And I'm excited about Perez. But if you look at Perez and you say, all right, we added Perez, but we lose Welbeck. And you look at Mustafi and you say, we added Mustafi and Holding, but we, we lose Murtisacker and at least for some time, Gabrielle. Then at least for a while, we're kind of net neutral. Now, I get that we didn't have Welbeck for all of last season, but it's the idea that I thought we needed two forward players in addition to the weapons we had to really have a challenge. And what we've done is we've gotten one, and we've lost one. So, now now look, if Perez starts at center forward and is a fantastic striker for us and gives us the mobility and the finishing that we need, and we can establish a front three that is dynamic and, and can work with the added passing influence of Shaka, that could just solve itself. But I, I don't have a problem with any of the individual players we signed. It's just a question of whether we've added enough, especially in light of the players that are out injured, and we'll find out. I think, look, it's pretty clear. Arsene Wenger chased Luis Suarez. He chased Gabriel uh, 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 Higuain. He, Gonzalo Higuain, he chased Kareem Benzema, if reports are to be believed. So while I, I think Perez could be fantastic and I'm excited to see what he does, I think anybody would acknowledge that that's maybe a tear down from what we had been chasing. And I do believe the manager was maybe hopeful of finding that luminary, that that exceptional top-of-the-top 
caliber attacking option. Um, and who knows, maybe it'll be a deadline day swoop and we'll all be going nuts. But that quote-unquote madness, I'm not sure we got that. And that that maybe is my one regret, sure. is is I think it would have been great to see us pull off the the guy who could lead the league in scoring and and you know and be the the standard bearer to carry on from what Thierry Henry did or Ian Wright or you know I mean yeah we know the names down down the years and we've we've been missing that since Van Persie you know uh, slithered his way out of the club um unfortunately I have to stop so there's a lot we could have done today that we can't because of me. And look, I'm ending this the way I started it, which is rambling nonsense. That's incoherent. Um, but hopefully that will, uh, lead us into a depressing two weeks without Arsenal. It always seems to be the way that just when you get those new players in and just when the results start to go your way, you're, you're stuck without football for a couple weeks. Um, James, any quick final words on, on, you know, how, how you see these, these new players fitting in? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing to mention is with regards to the Perez signing, one thing that is quite promising is we have seen in the past that when Arsene hasn't been able to get his top targets, he's he's preferred to to wait it out until the next window, and he will just sometimes just push back and, and rely on what he has um, rather than going out and, and seeking out a plan B or a plan C. And it certainly does seem like Perez is talented as he, as he may be, and um, as much as he might add to the squad that... Um, you know, it's a sign that Arson has has at least been willing to to choose a sort of in in his eyes sort of a secondary or even tertiary option relative to what he was necessarily hoping for going into the window. It's a really um, good point, by the way. It's a really good point because look, I don't think anyone thought Welbeck was who the manager wanted, but he went out and got Welbeck, and he made a difference. And I think Perez is probably in that same category, which is in the past Arson maybe might have just said, "I didn't find exactly what I'm looking for. I'm going to rely on internal solutions." But he's he's decided to to bring in a body, and it could make a big difference. He's running for re-election yes. this year. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think, you know, the what I I do get your point with regards to, um, in some ways, it feels like a a net zero from you know from a sense of X standpoint. You've got both Mertak and Gabriel injured at the opening part of the season. You bring in Mustafi. Um, I think that can be somewhat counted if Mustafi proves to be you know an an upgrade on either of those two um but I'm not you know I don't fully agree with with that of the Danny Welbeck comment purely because Danny's probably out for the exact same period of time that he was last season um so he was he was mostly a non-entity until until about February March and actually when you look to a player like Alex Iwobi who still is someone with you know talent potential we don't actually know what he necessarily contributes to the side, but he was he was a player that only really added value to the squad in in the latter half of the season last year, and he's a player that you know even if he just exceeds the the qualities of what Alex Oxley Chamberlain, for example, has brought to the team, um, he provides that extra option. And I think most importantly, when, we, when you look at the window, the biggest issue we've had for players like Theo and players like Alex, whether it be um, a lack of application for instance, and, and just you know, to a certain degree a lack of quality, I think we can also appreciate that given the type of attacking players they are, a, you know, part of the problem last year was the limited supply line that we had in that midfield when it was just Meza, um holding it down as, as the only player that was able to, to seek out those types of players. And it does feel a lot more promising when you bring in a player of, of Granite's ability that even if Asante does get injured for a period of time, or even now having brought in an El Nene who only came in in January last year, That's it does point. seem 
it does seem a squad that has um, that versatility and that ability to to actually take advantage of the of the qualities that those sort of attacking players had that we weren't necessarily able to bring out from last season. No, I, I think that's a really valid point. I think you do have to count El Nenny into the group that's come in because he came in second half and it will be developed second half. And so there, there, there's more there. Um, and when Griezmann comes in on deadline day, I think that's really the final piece. So that'll be exciting. Uh, James is on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. James, thanks. Been a pleasure. Cheers. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. No problem. Yeah, I have to apologize uh, for my part uh, of the participation in today's podcast, which is appalling. I'm suffering a devastating 48-hour hangover. Uh, and you know what? It's like it's already the interlull, and my brain is in interlull mode. So uh, in any case, thank you for tolerating me. Please block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Please leave us a nice review, even though uh, my contribution to this podcast was utter shit today. Um, Get I still, off the stage. I still You're think dying. James and Paul deserve it. Yeah. Okay. Big hook. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the interlull, and uh, we might do an emergency pod after Griezmann signs on deadline day. Until then, cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.